my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have a confession to you. This psalm that I just read uh, talks about the Lord as the shepherd and meaning that we as followers are sheep, but I don't know anything about sheep. Like my entire sheep education comes from the things that I read in Scripture. I didn't grow up around anything like sheep. I really like it when I read in Scripture and there's references to things that I'm familiar with. When Paul talks about the Christian faith being a race, I'm like, I I know what a race is. I've done those before. But David talking about us being sheep, I haven't got a clue. Didn't grow up anywhere near them. Don't, Don't have it. I mean, nothing where I had my hands on anything like that. I go to McDonald's, order a McMuffin or a McChicken or a McNugget. You don't order McMutton. There's nothing sheep-related that I am familiar with. I don't even like lamb chops all that much anyway. But as, we've, as, uh, as, as I've gone into this a little bit and as I've studied this a little bit, I learned that sheep are one of the few livestock that are absolutely everywhere. There isn't a continent on the planet that there hasn't been some kind of sheep farming that's, that, that has happened. Um, it, 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 when, when, you look, when you look for sheep, when I said the word sheep, when I, when I was even, uh, even, even uttering that word, you all knew exactly what it was that I was talking about. You had the exact image in your minds. When, when, when you have little kids and all their toys have the sheep and that makes the sound right there, you can identify it immediately. You can think of the white wool. You can think of the bleeding that, that they do. You can think of even the pastures that they're in. In some western states... Man, people are even outnumbered by sheep. If we were to travel to Australia, we would learn that there is actually 10 times more sheep than there are people there. And if we were to go hang out with Samwise and Frodo in New Zealand, we would learn that there's 20 times more sheep than there are people. They are everywhere. It is an absolute common thing to refer to sheep. And though we might not know much about sheep, I might not know much about sheep, You knew the instant I started reading this psalm, without telling you where to find it in your scripture, you knew this was Psalm 23. It is perhaps the most famous uh, scripture in all of the Bible. Out of 150 psalms, man, most only know Psalm 23. You all in here probably have it memorized, or at least part of it memorized, and some of you, when I said it out loud, didn't realize that you had part of it memorized. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says that Psalm 23 is the pearl of Psalms. Alexander McLaren says, The world could spare many a large book better than this psalm. It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many have poured their peaceful faith. And millions have this memorized. Millions have heard this psalm uh, read. And I was very humbled when I, when I was studying for this psalm, when I was studying for this sermon and, and, and trying to go, God, what is it new that I can bring to this familiar text? I was humbled when I, I just stopped and thought, I mean, thousands of people, these are the very last words that they hear before they leave this earth. 
It's a powerful text. I don't have to tell you what psalm to turn to, though. When I read it, you already knew. But because it's so familiar, I think sometimes we hear things like these familiar texts like this that we, we start turning our brains off because we already know. Some of you are in here going, what are you going to tell me that I don't know about Psalm 23? I get it. I get it. And, and so we kind of we check out for a second. And I think our familiarity with the things like Psalm 23 cause us sometimes to miss some of the treasure that exists. Like there is a reason that this is so familiar to us. There's a reason why it is read and recited when people are at their most desperate times and in their most lost places. They hear the, the words of Psalm 23. And so we're going to mine for some of these treasures the rest of our morning as we examine a couple things that are going on in the 23rd Psalm that David penned. There's a number of ways to break down this Psalm. If you look in your scripture, it's probably split up into kind of three different stanzas or three different uh, kind of ways to divide, to divide these verses. There's six verses in there. I'm going to argue that there's actually two ways that we can divide this. There's, there's kind of two aspects that David brings to these psalms. And if you look at the beginning and the end of the psalm, that's one part of it. And if you look at the, kind of the middle where it's sandwiched, that's another part. And you can see it in the language that he uses. Verses 1 through 3 and verse 6 are best described as a unit that describes who the Lord is. David tells us about the Lord. And then if you look at verses 4 and 5, it's an incredibly personal nature that David writes from. And so that we get to see his personal relationship with the Lord. And so that's what this is going to kind of guide us uh, the rest of our morning with this. But in verses 4 and 5, it's amazing. We go from the Lord, the Lord, the Lord to you, you, you. And we have this switch to a very incredibly personal nature. And so as we look at this, I, I want to key in on a couple phrases that exist in this. First of all, our, this first unit, David describes the Lord as shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. Now this is an expression, first and foremost, uh, that's one of dependence. If you allow me to make another confession to you, I don't like it when the scripture calls me a sheep. That bothers me a whole lot. And some of that's cultural. And there's a reason for this. Uh, last night I said sheep are stupid. Somebody who raised sheep told me I was wrong when I said that. But here's the reason why I say sheep are stupid. Because if I were to call you a sheep, or if someone calls you a sheep at work or something like that, they're not complimenting you, are they? They're telling you you have no brain to think for yourself. They're telling you the only things you do in life are what you are told to do. And in some ways, man, sheep really are some of the dumbest livestock that exists. Uh, in, in our text, David says that, that the Lord is my shepherd. Um, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why would a sheep not lie down on his own in green pastures? Because they're not all that bright. They're not all that brilliant. Sheep won't do these things on their own. They'll eat all the grass in their little area. And then when all that grass is done, they won't even lie down and just enjoy what they ate. They'll just stand there. And they'll starve to death until the shepherd moves them into another pasture. Man, I do not like it when the Bible calls me a sheep. And it is one of the most familiar uh, analogies that we have in all of the text. I much, much prefer things like when the scripture calls me a child. Or I like it better when the scripture calls me a soldier. Or an athlete. Or a farmer. But a sheep? Man, God, are you telling me I'm that stupid? Like, I can't figure things out for myself. I don't like thinking that I need to be dependent on anyone. 
I like to think that I can figure some things out on my own. I like to think that I have some level of intelligence. I don't even like to feel stupid. So even when I do the wrong things, I, I like to think that I can kind of cover for myself. But man, God, the Lord is my shepherd. God has far more compassion on me than to leave me to my own devices. I wonder if when Jesus was alive and he was teaching his followers about who he was, that when we get into John chapter 10, if he was thinking of the 23rd Psalm when he was telling his followers and the people that were there to listen to him, um, I wonder if he's thinking about that Psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd, that the Lord is my shepherd. Listen to what he says in John chapter 10. This is how it starts in verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, hired, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is, a, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, I, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have, a, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. When we read and, and recite the 23rd Psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd, we're placing our dependence in our lives, our livelihoods, and our souls straight on the back of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, no fewer than five times, five times that I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the cause of me being the good shepherd. Man, I'm thankful that God does not leave me to my own devices. I'm grateful that even in my stubborn ways that the Lord still says, I'm your good shepherd. Do you, you ever wonder what would happen if he wasn't? In our Psalm 23 this morning, Listen to what happens when you take the shepherd out of this psalm. This is how it reads. In verse 1, we read, My, I shall be in want. And 2, me, me. And we read in 3, my soul, me. And we read in verse 4, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear me, me. Then in 5, we read again, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, my cup, and six, me, all the days of my life, I will dwell. That's a tough gig without the good shepherd, isn't it? Man, I, I don't know about you, but I know what it's like when I'm just trying to figure things out strictly on my own. When I live only on my own pride, only on my own devices, only in my own ways. There's a man who was a former shepherd in East Africa. His name was Philip Keller. Um, uh, after being a shepherd for a while in East Africa, he, he became a missionary and became a pastor in a few different churches. And he wrote a book uh, that he titled, A Shepherd Who Looks at Psalm 23. 
It might be the most famous work on the, on the 23rd Psalm. But in that book, he talks about his experience as being this shepherd. And he said the land adjacent to him was rented out to a tenant shepherd who didn't take very good care of his sheep. He goes on to say that his land was overgrazed, that it was eaten down to the ground, and that the sheep were very thin, they were diseased, and there were parasites everywhere. And ultimately, many of them were attacked by wild animals. But Keller especially remembers how the neighbor sheep would line up at the fence and blankly stare in the direction of his green grass and his healthy sheep, almost as if, he says, they yearned to be delivered from their abusive shepherd. They longed to come to the other side of the fence and belong to him. Man, those sheep desired the good shepherd. See, we as Christians, we understand that the identity of the shepherd is absolutely everything. And it is absolutely good news. And it is wonderful to be able to say that the Lord is my shepherd. That's a good thing. We're not admitting that we're dumb. We're admitting that our dependence is solely on the Lord who lays down his life for us. And so because of that, when we claim that the Lord is my shepherd, we're making a statement of ownership. I learned that just like uh, farmers will brand their cattle, uh, shepherds would also uh, put notches in the ears of their sheep that was specific to that shepherd. And the Lord says that our mark that he gives us is the cross. The text says that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That path is Calvary. We become righteous because of what the Lord did for us on our behalf at the cross. And then he asked that we take up the cross to follow him. And as, God, as, as we belong to God, the only thing he asks and demands from us is that we love him back. And because of that, God is sort of taking a risk, isn't he? Man, I say that, and some of you are like, I don't like thinking about God taking a risk. But his call to us is to love. It's not simply to be a robot. He's not forcing us to, into anything. He's asking us to be in relationship with him, which means that we are called to love him back because he first loved us. But in order to put that option out there, the, the ability for us to be able to choose him, we also need to deal with the reality that we can choose not to love him. And because of that, that's a cosmic risk that God gives us. Isaiah 53, 6 states this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's not any of us that that, that, that text isn't writing about, that's not talking about. We have chosen not him at some point in all of this life's journey. It's kind of risky. But the Lord, who is the shepherd, says it's a risk I'm willing to take. And he asks us to love him. When we chose sin, in response, he chose to send out his own son to look for us, to hunt for us, to find us, to redeem us. But it was at a terrible cost. And it was the cost of his own life. But to him, when he looked at the valley of the shadow of death, he said, it's worth it. And so when we say the Lord is my shepherd, it's actually us admitting a personal relationship with that shepherd that we, as his sheep, know who our shepherd is. We're not following just anybody with a rod and staff, but we are following the one who is good. We are following the one who laid down his life, and so we can claim the personal parts of this 23rd Psalm. And that leads us right into that second aspect of this. 
And the key phrase there that, that David uses is the valley of the shadow of death. Now, every one of us has, uh, at some point or another, either has or will walk through valleys. All of us will experience the valley of the shadow of death. But there are also other dark valleys that we will walk through as well. And matter of fact, the, the, the phrase that's used in the 23rd Psalm that, that says the valley of the shadow of death really isn't, uh, it shouldn't be translated as death. The, the word that's used there actually means deep darkness. That's how it's translated in Job chapter 3 in verse 5. When Job, who has just had all these things stripped from him and he feels like he's being tortured in life, he's reflecting and, and, and thinking about even the day that he was born. And he said, man, that day needs to be marked by gloom and deep darkness. Same word. Some of us are facing that, that exact same deep darkness that, that Job feels. There are some scholars who believe that David was writing of his own experience being chased down by maybe Saul or maybe another army. And that he was looking over the Kidron Valley when he was penning this psalm. Now, I've never been to the Kidron Valley, but the descriptions that I've read about that, that there's some forests, there's some trees, there's some rocks, there's some places that you can hide from your enemy. And David was pretty good at hiding from the people that were chasing him. But to get to the other side of the valley, you are exposing yourself because there is nowhere to hide. It's very desert-like to be able to get to the other side. And some believe that that's when David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will comfort me. You will be with me. I, uh, it, my sophomore year, I think, in college, uh, I was living in the dorm. We had a lot of people who lived on our floor, and every week... Um, we had different jobs that we had to do to take care, of, uh, take care of our floor. Some had to take out the trash, some had to clean out showers, clean, vacuum hallways, that, that kind of thing. But we had so many people living uh, on our floor that not everybody would get assigned a job that was specific to our floor. So my RA would always assign some silly jobs to some people. Well, one of the people that lived on my dorm, I may have told a few, few of you this story before, but his name was Wilbur. Wilbur was a foreign exchange student from Kenya. Uh, he had been in the United States for not quite a year. And so uh, John, my RA, decided uh, one particular week, Wilbur, your job is to tell us how to hunt a lion. Well, we all kind of giggled at that, funny, ha, 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 all these kinds of things. And so one night uh, toward the end of the week, Wilbur said, calls everybody in the floor. He says, okay, everybody got to come do my job and all these things like this. So we're all gathered in this little hallway, and Wilbur's uh, got like this presentation to talk to us about and everything like this. He goes, today I'm going to tell you how to hunt for a lion. And all of us kind of snapped too, like, oh, this is serious. I didn't know you actually did this. And so he said, here's the first rule for hunting a lion. You don't hunt lions, they hunt you. I'm like, okay, he's got our attention now. And so he said, however, we have had lions come to our village before. And all of us are just kind of leaning in. We're waiting for a punchline in all of this. But Wilbur is dead serious as he's telling us how they hunted this lion. How do they get rid of the lion that invades their village? He said, so what we would do is in the valley that we had in our, uh, near our village, we would, for a couple of days, throw pumpkins down in that valley, and the lion would go down and get these pumpkins, right? And he would just eat these pumpkins. So after we did this for a while, we would hollow out several pumpkins, and we would put them on the heads of some of the people in our tribe, and they would float in this river so that they would lure the lion out. And when the lion got close enough, they would jump out of the water, and they would take care of the lion right there. 
blew us away. Most craziest story I've ever heard. But I tell you that story because the way that they would get rid of that lion is they had to bring him into the valley to expose him to the warriors, to those that were chasing him, to those that were wanting to get rid of him. Many of us, I think this morning, probably feel a little bit like this lion, that we look at that valley and we go, man, I am exposed when I walk through there. We each have different names for our valleys. Some of those names are embarrassment, some are divorce, illness, grief, but we all go through difficult times. I think for some of us in here, Father's Day is an exposure in one of those valleys. When you heard Colton up here saying Happy Father's Day, man, even to think of, Dad, man, do you know what he's done? You know what it's like? In my Sunday school class, we've been studying a lot of Paul's work lately. And to the Ephesians, he wrote that, sons, you need to honor your father and mother. And he said there's actually a promise of long life that comes to that. And so I asked them a question. I said, how do you honor your father when you don't feel like your father ought to be honored? That's a tough spot to be in. And we kind of talked through that a little bit. And I shared with them a time where I got to teach that passage to a group of middle schoolers at a camp one time several years ago in Oklahoma. And one of the kids, this is a middle school kid, raises her hand. And she says, how do I honor my father when he sexually assaulted me when I was little? And Father's Day brings up some of the, that exposure for some of us, doesn't it? That's a tough spot to be in. But I will tell you this. We need to remember that the valley is not something that we're running to. It's not the destination. But the valley is something that we move through. The key word is through. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not to it. And why do we walk through it? Because the high ground is on the other side. The good news is on the other side. The safety, the security is on the other side. And the Lord is my shepherd. I won't be in want. His presence comforts me. The truth is, people do make it through discouragement all the time. People do make it through sickness and a host of other difficulties. Even death and grief and loss. People make it through those things. But it can be scary along the way, can't it? I think in some instances, it's even harder when we see the very people we care the most about who are facing their own valleys. And they're looking at that, and you know this is going to be tough. But they make it through. The valley of the shadow of death has fear. And for fear to be effective, it has to take your mind off of the good shepherd. And there's lots of reasons for that fear to creep in, isn't there? And some of you, your past experiences will teach you to fear that valley. It'll harden your heart to the possibility of God's comfort. For some of us, ignorance is going to lean, lead us into fear because we don't know what it's like to even be in God's comfort. And the reality is evil is a very real thing. Evil is a reality of our world, and bad things do happen to good people. If I were to ask you to list your fears of what that valley looks like, what, what's on your list? What would you write down? But know by giving in to fear that we're forgetting that God is our shepherd. And he's the good shepherd. So I ask you, is it possible to live fearlessly in a world where evil abounds? 
And don't you wish that you could take that list that you write those things and hold it up to the sky and look right through them and you say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Wouldn't it be awesome to be fearless in the face of all of those dangers? To have the delight that you could go into the scariest, the creepiest, and the most dangerous spaces and places of life and not be afraid. Is it possible? Is it possible to live fearlessly in a world where evil is so prevalent? I believe it is. I believe it is. Donald Barnhouse was a pastor in Philadelphia. And he was pastoring at a church in Philadelphia when his wife died, and, he, and she left him with a couple of young daughters, and he had to raise them alone. Well, uh, Pastor Barnhouse did something that I don't think I could ever do. He actually officiated his own wife's funeral. Well, it was while he was driving to that funeral, he had his girls in the back, that he realized he needed to say something to explain some things to his girls who were struggling with the death of their mother. And to somehow put into perspective for them something with which he himself was actually struggling with too, and that only I can imagine. Well, they stopped at a traffic light while driving to the funeral. Um, it was a bright day, and the sun was streaming into the car and warming it. The truck pulled up next to them, and the shadow that came with the truck darkened the, darkened the inside of the car. And it was then that he turned to his daughters and he asked this question. He said, would you rather be struck by this truck, or would you rather be struck by the shadow of the truck? Well, one of his daughters said, Dad, that's, that's silly. Like, of course we'd rather be hit by the shadow of the truck. The shadow of the truck doesn't hurt, but if we were to be hit by this truck, that's going to sting a minute. It was then that he tried to explain to them that their mother had died and that it was as if she had been hit by a shadow. It was as if Jesus had stepped in the way in her place and it was he who had been hit by the truck and he, and he quoted the familiar words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house forever. And all it requires is for us to love him. All it requires is for us to recognize him as the good shepherd. And if you're ready to make that declaration today, we got some folks at our decision points who would love to walk you through that. That we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall no longer be in want. And if some of you are struggling with some of those valleys, those fellows that are over there, those folks that are over there would love to sit down and pray with you th through those valleys as well. Knowing that that is not our destination, that is what we are walking through and all of us are walking together. If you've got a decision to make this morning, I challenge you to go to those decision points and go make that decision. Would you stand as we sing this song?